Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning. As Chris Kyle said, to those of you tuning in online this morning, we're honored to have you as our guest. If you would, please grab a Bible around the room or your own Bible and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This morning we're going to be diving back into Saints and Society. That's the sermon series that we're working through right now, Saints and Society, where we are looking at Paul's, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Bear with me too this morning. Uh, my... Uh, having technical difficulties with the iPad, so using a laptop, having difficulties with normally the uh, wireless uh, mic, and so using the handheld. And so just be patient with me this morning. I, I use my hands a lot, so I'm just going to have to restrict myself and deal with that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We're just diving back into this series this morning. Uh, we're we're, we're going to jump back in and see what the series is, what it's about. We've been away from it for a little bit. We did a one-off last week on sin. And then before that, we did our Advent series leading up to Christmas. So we're going to dive back into Saints and Society. Why have we titled this series Saints in Society? <clears throat> the reason why is this. Oftentimes in life, you, you will hear people say, that person is a real saint. And what they're uh, typically referring to is maybe it's, it's a grandparent, it's someone in their life that uh, models godly character. And they say, well, that person is a true saint. But in reality, if you look and understand what the Bible says, and specifically the Apostle Paul, we see this, that saint or sainthood is not an arrival place for Christians. Meaning, if you're a really godly person and do a bunch of good stuff your entire life, then you can arrive at a, spa a, a spot like you do in Catholicism called sainthood. Instead, where we start in our starting place in Christianity is with an identity given to us solely by grace as saint. So th th this is really different because we're not working to arrive at this identity. We start from it, and then what we do is we live out of it in society. And so, we, again, we're not working to become saints, which actually means set apart or holy. In fact, Christ alone has made us set apart and holy, and now he says, here's what it looks like to live into your new identity I've given you. So that's why it's called Saints in Society. We have a new identity. We're called to live into this identity inside of society. This morning, the main point is this, is the saints gospel verbs, okay? There's going to be a lot of questions throughout. If you're a gospel community leader, uh, we'll give you guys some questions to work with for your groups, but the main point is the gospel, uh, the saints gospel verbs, okay? And here's what I mean with this. If you'll open your Bible with me right now to 1 Corinthians 15 and read just the first two verses, if you're okay underlining in your Bible, then, then, then underline some of these verbs that I'll point out along the way. These are the words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Now, I would remind you, underline remind, brothers of the gospel I preached, underline preached, to you, which you received, underline received, in which you stand, underline stand, and by which you are being saved, underline saved. If you hold, underline that, fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So again, I will read through it. Now, I would remind you, Brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So again, the words to underline, these are all verbs, and these verbs are actually all saturated in, centered in, around and upon the gospel. And it's remind, it's preached, it's received, it's stand, it's hold, it's believed. 
There's one or two others in there. Those are the ones we're going to look at today. With that, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we give you this morning. I'm so thankful that we can gather, that we can hear your word, but that, Father, you've given us your word. God, I pray that it's the foundation that we build our lives upon. I pray that we would know and understand through and through your word tells one message. It elevates ultimately one hero, which is Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that where there's other kings and, and, and other idols that are built up in our lives, that you would dismantle those this morning, this day, that you would tear those down and that you would realign our hearts in the gospel. God, where we have swerved, where we've swayed, where we've wandered off into every other myth and genealogy, where other things have captivated our hearts, maybe politics and other things. I pray that what captivates our hearts this morning again is your gospel. Father, we know there's so much going on in our country, but we also know this, and I pray it's not just a trite thing that we say, but we understand this, that our king is seated, is seated upon the throne. Jesus, you're in full control. You call all the shots. And I pray we would know and understand that you are good, that you are sovereign, not just over the big things, but over the small things in our lives. I know many have come in, in here this morning riddled with fear and anxiety, with a lack of peace in their lives, I pray that the gospel is the thing that grounds us this morning and gives us peace. Father, we ask that you'd minister to us through your word, to the empowerment of the spirit, all for the glory of Jesus. Amen. All right. Look at the language here in 1 Corinthians 15. It's interesting. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. It's interesting because this word gospel, euangelion, has actually been used eight times explicitly up to this point in this letter. So this is not the first time Paul's saying it. He's reminding them of something that he's reminded them of over and over and over again. He's also, this letter, uh, he, he is, he's, it's drenched in the gospel. We'll say it that way. It's, it's, implicit, it's, it's implied um, implicitly throughout the letter as well. In other words, Paul uses language like you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified, you are set apart, you are holy. All of this language is gospel language of Paul reminding us over and over and over again of who we are. He's reminding the church in Corinth, this is who you are. Let me remind you of this. But notice where he's doing this. This is chapter 15. There's only 16 chapters. Notice at the end of... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is reminding them of the very uh, way that he started off his letter. He reminds them of who they are as saints. He reminds them of the gospel, and this is what he does now. It would, it would be easy to say, um, shouldn't Paul tell us about all the other stuff that we need to do, all the other stuff that we need to grow in, um, a, a Bible reading plan? Shouldn't he teach us on hermeneutics? Shouldn't he teach us on all this stuff? The foundation of what Paul is passionate about the foundation of what Paul is preaching and teaching from beginning to the end of the letter, the thing that he doesn't want his listeners to forget is the gospel. Sadly, many people think that the gospel is the one thing that gets us into Christianity, that it gets us in a right relationship with God. And then at that point, it becomes all up to us. But the reality is Paul throughout this letter, and even at the end of this letter, he's like, this is the thing. Paul could remind them of anything. He's, he could have reminded them of everything he said about unity throughout this letter, but he's like, I need to remind you of the gospel. Why? I've used this term before because we have gospel amnesia. We are quick to forget. And here's the reality. The gospel works contrary to everything in this world. 
The gospel works contrary to everything in this world. And what I mean by this is when you leave here today, the things that you do impact what you receive. So if you go out of here today and you go speeding down the highway, those actions are probably going to end in a ticket. When you go to work tomorrow, your hard work is going to get you an earned paycheck. The gospel doesn't work that way. So the things that you do impact what you receive. The gospel is this is what you receive and this impacts what you do. You have to hear that. Because maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe you're wandering back in, maybe you're not a Christian. The things you do out in the world are going to impact what you receive. The gospel starts with, this is what you've received, everything, and now this impacts what you do. And that's what Paul's saying. We're so forgetful. We're so forgetful. We, we, we wander into everything else. We, we think about everything else. We get caught up in everything else. And so Paul's just simply trying to say, let me remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the gospel that I preach to you. Remind is actually, uh, it means to transmit or reveal in the Greek. That's what remind means. And that's the essence of what discipleship is. If, if you're wondering, what does it look like to engage in discipleship? It's this simple. It is to remind people of the gospel over and over and over again. It, it, it's to tell the story of the Bible. And the Bible tells one story. Maybe this is your first time here uh, Maybe you're joining us again, but we, we would say this, that we stand upon this book as our foundation of truth. This is our objective truth. This is our foundation that we stand upon, but it's also God's authority that we sit under. And so between that, we hope that what flows through us into the depths of our heart and soul is the message that this Bible is all about, which is elevating one man who's the hero, Jesus Christ. And so Paul's like, I need to remind you of this, but also... This is what we transmit to one another. This is what we tell one another. This is what we give to one another in the midst of discipleship. I don't want to sit around and be discipled by someone that just wants to tell me a bunch of cool analogies and stories about life. I want to sit in discipleship with someone who's going to get me in the word and show me how it all points to Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul's saying. I would remind you, I'm going to transmit information. I'm going to tell you of the gospel. This is what the Jewish people have done throughout centuries. They tell the story of the way God has worked in redemption. That's the same thing we do. We keep reminding one another and telling the story of the way God has worked in redemption through the cross. This is what Stephen did right before he was stoned. This is what we're called to do. We are called to remind one another. What is a Christian called to do? Remind, transmit, reveal the gospel. We need a daily reminder of the gospel because the things in the world, like I said, fly against it. And we need to be reminded of what the gospel is and what it says. I like what Alistair Begg says. We find in all the scriptures in the Old Testament, or I'm sorry, he says we find Christ in all the scriptures. He says in the Old Testament, he's predicted. In the Gospels, he's revealed. In Acts, he is preached. In the epistles, he's explained. And in Revelation, he is expected. All of the Bible, beginning to end, is all about Jesus. And so our aim and goal this morning and time and time again, since there's a lot of stuff right now in our world to be carried away by, is to remind one another of the greatest truth and of our greatest need, and that's the gospel. It's baffling to me the things that we run to and seek out and search truth in. There's actually online tests you can do to find out if you're an attractive person or not. It seems very subjective. There's also tests you can do to find out if you're a funny person or not. It's, it's ironic to me that we will run to all of these things to, to uh, uh, 
to find truth and to try to determine what truth is when in fact we have the word of God, which is the truth. And it tells us what our greatest need is, which is why Paul is like, Hey, I'm almost done with this letter. So I really need to remind you of something, the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is this word euangelion, which is actually, uh, it is a military term. And so Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of, of this time, who was previously a guy named Octavian, he uh, self-named himself uh, Caesar Augustus, which means divine one. So if you're going to give yourself a nickname, be wary of anyone that does that. So Caesar Augustus names himself the divine one. And then what he does is he starts winning battles, and he starts telling people, you on Gelion, you on Gelion. What he's saying is good news, good news, we've won battles. What he's saying is good news, good news, we've won battles. But here's the reality. The way that Caesar Augustus won battles was off the backs of other people and through their bloodshed. So it's really not good news. So Paul takes this language that, that the Roman Empire is familiar with of euangelion, and he starts saying it, and he drenches his letters in them. He's like, euangelion, euangelion, let me tell you actually what good news is. But you would have to understand this, that first there's really bad news. In order to understand good news, we have to understand that there's bad news. The bad news is this, is that everyone in this room, myself included, and in the world is born with a disease. The disease that we're born with is called sin. And, and the reality is, is sin left unchecked or sin throughout our lives has the ability to grow like cancer. I watched my dad for 10 years of his life battle cancer until he wasted away to nothing and then passed. And every now and then he would go back into the doctors and they would run uh, blood work on him. And the blood work would simply tell him that there was a problem that his white blood cell count was too high and, and, and then they need to start doing chemo. Uh, this is what the blood work did. The blood work was incapable of saving him. An x-ray can't save you. An MRI can't save you. What it can do is show you there's a problem. Just like the blood work showed my dad, there's a problem. The reality is, is the blood panels, the MRI, the x-ray have no power to save, heal, and help the disease that my dad had. In the same way, God gave us his law. He gave us the 10 commandments. His law is good and it's holy, but it's proven one thing. We can't uphold it. And so what the law actually proves is that we are all broken. Like the MRI, it exposes our problems. We are sinners incapable of being obedient to a holy God. And so we need a cure. We need a solution. God couldn't send down a system. He couldn't send down a strategy. He had already done that. He, he sent down the, the golden tablet to Moses, and we failed all of those commandments. God can't do that again, so he needed to send down a savior, a person. The plan of salvation comes in a person. It's Jesus Christ. Christ came to do something about the disease of cancer, which is sin that is spreading through us. God hates sin. Because it severed our relationship from him. It, it impacts our marriages. It impacts our relationships. It impacts all of life. It impacts creation. So God didn't keep himself removed. He stepped into the person of Jesus Christ to say, let me do something about this and provide the cure. The cure came in a perfect, righteous lamb who was slain on the cross for us. Jesus became sick with sin, not his own, but with ours. And then he was punished for the sin that we should have been punished for in our place. And then he, he, he said it in his final breath, it is finished. God, I give my spirit to you. Three days later, he proved that everything he said and everything he did was truth by conquering the grave. He's the only person that's ever walked out of the grave and stayed out of the grave. And he proved that all of his work is sufficiently finished for us to be reconciled to God. 
That's the good news. That is what Christians say, euangelion, euangelion too. We recognize there's bad news and the good news is really good news because we understand that we are sick with a disease that only Christ can cure and he's cured it. Through faith in Jesus, listen to this, God's not grossed out with you. God's not disgusted with you. God's not turned off by you. He, he, he doesn't pull away from you. In Christ, you have to hear this. You are utterly, completely righteous. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That means you're absolutely in this moment through faith in Jesus Christ, pure in the sight of God. So what do we do? Paul says, I would remind you. What we need to do is remind ourselves and we need to remind one another. That's why he says, of the gospel, this good news I preach to you. Remember, gospel, look here with me. Gospel is euangelion, that's the Greek word. You, and then two words over, I preach is actually euangelizo, which is actually just the verbiage. So gospel is noun, preached is verb. So what he's saying is euangelion, euangelizo. So it's the same word, basically. What Paul is saying, you just have to preach the good news of the message to yourself and to other people. That's what you remind one another of. You need to do that daily. David does this throughout the Psalms. We see this throughout the Psalms always. He, he's, he's telling to his soul. He's preaching to his soul. Soul, you're weary. Soul, you're tired. Soul, you're in turmoil. Soul, you have no peace. Remember God. Remember the gospel. That's what we preach to ourselves, and that's what we preach to one another. That's what we're supposed to do. And that's why Paul, at the end of his letter, is making this such a big priority. Next, he says this, which you received, okay? I would remind you of the gospel, it's good news, that I preached, which you received. You have already received this. This is a cool we're Greeking out here this morning, sorry. This is another Greek word that actually means to take with you or to take. So the good news is something that you've already taken with you. It's something that you took. You see, when, whenever we go stay somewhere out of town, whenever we visit someone, whenever we do anything, uh, we have to pack for our children. And there's things that we need to pack. There's things that we have to take with us. We have to take... Uh, both of our daughters' stuffies with them. We have to take Lammy and we have to take Barry. And we have to take blankets with us. We have to take stuff. Those are things that we take with us. Why? Because those things give my daughters comfort wherever they are in life. When, when we tuck them in at, at night, the thing that they're asking for is where's Barry and where's Lammy? Those are things they want to take with them to bed because those things bring them peace. The gospel, this good news, is something we take with us wherever we go in life. It's like a ring. It is a constant reminder of what we've taken with us. I've taken with us my covenant with my wife in marriage wherever I go. I also take my last name with me wherever I go. It's not something I just leave at home uh, whenever I leave the doors. And ultimately, what I take with me wherever I go, what I've received is my sonship. I never leave home without being a son of God. I take with me wherever I go what I've received, that I'm approved, adored, loved, and accepted by God fully, completely, every moment of every day. That's what I take with me. That's what I've received. That's, that's what I've taken. That's what he's getting ready to say. That's what we stand upon. You have to hear that. Whenever you wander through uh, life, through ups and downs, through trials, whatever life has for you, the one thing that you've received that you take with you is not, even as Chris was saying, it's, it's not uh, being a good pastor. It's not being a good husband. It's not being a good wife. It's not being a good parent. It, it, it's not a career. The thing that you take with you that is unshakable, 
that is unchanging is the fact that you are a son or a daughter of the living God, and that can never be removed from underneath your feet. Which is why Paul says next, in which you stand. This is what you stand upon. This is his next verb. This is what you're standing on. You'll quickly realize what you're standing upon based upon your emotions. For instance, this week, this morning, if you're at, uh, if there's a lack of peace, if you're in turmoil, if, if you're worried, uh, if you have angst, if you're up and down, my guess is you've started to place a foot on something other than Jesus Christ and the gospel. And, and here's the reality. Uh, we went to Defy. Uh, it is a trampoline park in North Eugene. We went there this week and uh, our kids, it is all they've been talking about all week. So their hope was in this. This is what they were standing upon. This is what they were placing all of their hope in. And so we got there, we're like, yeah. And my wife goes, this is so cool. There's no one here. We, she's upstairs, she's gonna tell me. She's like, we have the whole place to ourselves." It was closed. And so that's, that's why there was no one in the parking lot. So we went up to the door and they had signs. I tried to make it better because our kids' hearts were broken. And I said, I, I made up, I lied. I made up stuff that just wasn't on the note. And I was like, and if your names are Brooks and Joey, just know we're really sad we can't have our doors open <laughs> for you today. And we, we look forward to when you can come back in the future. Brooks looks at me, grabs her mask, rips it off, and throws it on the ground. So I did what any gospel-centered loving, biblical, godly parent would do. I knelt down and I got low and I was like, Brooks, do you want mom and dad to get you a guinea pig? <laughs> and that's what we did. We got her a guinea pig and uh, that made everything better. Um, but I, I say all that to say, <laughs> we have two guinea pigs, star and so-so. Um, my daughter's world was turned upside down in that moment. She was actually crying she wouldn't let me hold her. My wife was having to hold her because she had stood upon the ground that was shakable, something that was taken away from her in a moment. And the reality is, is we can often stand upon things that get removed from us. And if you're standing on anything right now, other than the firm foundation of Jesus Christ in the gospel, the work that he has done for you in your place, then you are standing on sand that is going to be washed away. That's just the reality. That's the reality that scripture gives us over and over again. And that's why for many of us, we are, like I said, unsatisfied. We are distraught. There's a lack of peace in our life because the enemy has tempted you to do this. It can be with really good things. The, the enemy doesn't always come with the temptation of, of, of drugs and, and stuff like that. It's actually oftentimes good things. But what he does teaches you to do is maybe just place one foot over here on something else and try to start to stand on that. And then those things build, and then that becomes your foundation, and it's shakable. The reason why we get thrown around in life, the reason why our emotions rise, are, are come high and come low oftentimes, is because we're standing on something other than who we are in Jesus Christ. And, and the reality is, is all that's going on in our culture right now, it's really easy to start standing on politics. It's really easy to start standing on everything else. It's really easy if you're on the right side to stand on the Constitution. But we've seen in 2020, that's not upheld. It's really easy if you're on the left side to start thinking that a president is going to be the safe, the next president's going to be a safe place to stand. That is not a firm foundation. Scripture calls us to stand upon the gospel. As soon as we start standing on something else, everything in life can, can be washed can be swept out from underneath us. Also, 
Jesus didn't get you in through the gospel and say, now it's on you, toe the line. Though many of us have believed that or thought like that. All right, Jesus got me and I got that only by grace, but now I have to toe the line. I have to do everything right. I have to say everything right. That's exhausting. And that's not the gospel. The gospel, the very thing that got you in is the very thing you stand on and it keeps you grounded. It keeps you secure. That's where we stand. That's where we place our hope. That's what Paul is saying. This this good news, I remind you, you have to preach this. You've received it, but now you have to stand on it. You'll know what you're standing on when someone hurts you. You'll, you'll know what you're standing on whenever you feel stupid. I like to be right. I like to argue. My wife would tell you that. I don't like to be proven wrong. When I'm proven wrong, if I'm standing on my own desire that I need to be right, my ground is shaky. If I'm standing on being a good husband or a good father, my ground is shaky. Because when my wife comes to me like this week and says, I'm not being sensitive, that's a shaky ground to stand on. When my daughter tells me I'm looking at my phone too much, that's a shaky ground to stand on. When I have failed and disappointed many people in this church, it is a shaky ground to stand on that my identity isn't a pastor. I stand upon the fact that I'm a child of God held secure in Jesus Christ. That's unshakable. And then Paul says this. And by which you are being saved. You have to see this. The gospel, right? Paul's like, I I need to remind you of something, the gospel. You've received it, you stand upon it. So it got you in past. You're presently standing on it, but it is the very thing that is saving you. So Jesus Christ saves you and he brings you into right relationship with God. Jesus Christ keeps you through his work in right, right relationship with God. And then Jesus Christ is going to continue to save you through his perfect work on your behalf and the, and the outworking of the spirit. This is your nerd word for the day. Okay. It's monergistic. Salvation and sanctification from beginning to end is monergistic, meaning that it's the work of God. How would I prove this? If you read down in verse 10, Paul actually says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, look at what Paul says. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For listen, for it is God who works in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure, uh, for his good pleasure. Now here, here, here's the thing. The fact that sanctification, salvation, sanctification means that we're molded into the likeness of Christ. Since all this is monergistic, it's a work of God. Does that mean that it negates human responsibility? Absolutely not. It actually means that any good work that we do in our lives, we can actually point to the fact that it's only by the grace of God that work is evident in our lives. We are called saints. If you are are someone who's placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you you are called as a saint to pursue holiness. When when God gives the commands for uh, in scripture for what it looks like for elders, God doesn't go towards all the systems and strategies. He goes to character. We are called to pursue holiness because here's the thing. You are being saved, which means this. The gospel takes you right where you're at, but God is too faithful, loves you too much to leave you right where you're at. So what he's going to do through the work of his spirit is put sin to death in your life so that you can live fully and freely with who you are in Christ, which is who he's made you by his grace. So again, God loves you too much to just leave you where you're at. So he's going to, through the work of his spirit, help you to put sin to death in your life. But this means this, you have to exercise your spiritual muscles. This is what I mean. 
as a Christian, as someone who has been saved, as someone who is a saint, you are no longer a slave to your sinful desires. That's what Ephesians 2 says, that we no longer have to be obedient to, to, to the sinful passions of this world. Instead, we actually have the freedom and liberty to say no. We can say no to sin. And it's actually can be fun when you start to say no to your sin because what you can start to think is, oh yeah, I actually have the freedom right now to say no to this. And, and by saying no to my flesh, saying no to sin, it, it means that I'm, I'm, I'm starving this, I'm making this anemic so that I can make this stronger. And, and, then, and then our spiritual lives and, and, and our spiritual nature starts to grow and starts to mature. It is an important thing for us to understand that it is the gospel that saved us. It is the gospel in which we stand and it is the gospel that is saving us because we have to see that it's not your Bible reading, it's not your prayers, it's not any of that stuff that is continuing to save you. But the good thing is, is now you get to do all those things to enjoy the relationship that you have with God. If you misunderstand that, you will grow tired, weary, and exhausted like Martin Luther, uh, Luther the Protestant reformer. He had a misunderstanding of grace that he had to do all these things and make himself right with God. Instead, we get these spiritual disciplines. God gives us this incredible book. It blows me away how many Christians don't read it. He, he gives us this, this letter to us that we actually get to learn about him. We don't pick it up and say, here, God, please be impressed with me. God says, I'm impressed with the work my son has done for you. Now you open the book and you get to learn about his work. You get to learn about me. You get to learn about what I've done to save you. It changes our spiritual disciplines. It actually gives us the ability to run a long race in life because it changes our motivation. That's why he's saying that it's saving you. It's transforming your life. Again, God's not going to leave you in a spot of sin. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we shouldn't allow our brothers and sisters to just stay in a spot of sin. We should love them enough to challenge them to live into the freedom that they have in Christ. Now, if you're someone who's like me that has a tendency to push back towards rules, sometimes we can do this. We can try to prove the religious freedom that we have by saying, oh, I'm going to do this to prove that I'm free. I'm going to do this to prove that I'm free. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm gonna, whatever it is, I'm going to buck this system to prove that I'm free. As soon as you're having to prove something that you're free, you've become a slave to what you're trying to prove. So Paul says this. This is what I remind you. This is what I preach. This is what you've received this is what you've taken with you. This is what you stand in. This is, what you, this is the very means that you are being saved. Notice what he says here. If you hold fast to the word that I preached, here's a question for you right now. What are you holding on to? What are you holding fast to? Everyone in this room is holding fast to something. What is it? He says, hold fast to the word. Hold fast to the logos. Hold fast to the gospel. What are you holding on to? If what you're holding on to can be removed, if it can be taken away, again, if it's governments, if it's systems, if it is a better political climate, whatever it is, that is not what we are called to hold on to. God says, hold on to this. Hold on to this. Look at what Joshua 1.8 says. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall, listen to this, you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. Listen, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The, the, the sad reality is, is we, we spend more time being caught up in everything else. Doesn't Paul warn against that? Don't be taken away by, by genealogies and myths and everything else. Why? Because Paul knew what was important. Stay in the word, ground yourself in the word. You can see what you're holding on to in life by how much you're shifting around. He also says this, or in Psalms, it says this, Psalm 119, I love this. Please read Psalm 119 if you haven't. 
gives a clear understanding of the importance of God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. What are you holding on to? Is it the gospel? Is it the firm foundation which you're standing? Are you holding on to the word of God? Are you immersed and saturated in, in the word of God? Is it the thing that you're clinging to, the promises of God? Are you clinging to a false promise of something the world might offer? Here's the thing. Paul says in Galatians, uh, Paul, uh, Galatians is Paul's most stern letter right out of the gate, right? He's like, I'm astonished how quickly you've deserted the gospel. Let me ask you, whatever you're holding to that is not the gospel, is the thing that you're placing up and above the gospel of Christ. Whatever you're holding that is not the gospel is the very thing that you're elevating in your life. And Paul in Galatians is like, I'm astonished that you would depart, that you would abandon, that you would leave the gospel for something else. How do you know what you're holding on to? Because the gospel says done. Everything else says do. If, if, if your world narrative is telling you to do something, that's not the gospel. Let me read to you what the gospel is. We have some slides. I'm going to move through these quickly. Tim Keller says, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Zs, meaning that the gospel speaks to everything in life. It speaks to your marriage. It speaks to your friendships. It speaks to you as an employer. It speaks to your employment. It speaks to everything. If you remove the gospel from marriage, what you will have is two self-righteous, pretentious people showing how they are doing this and they are doing this better than the other one. When you have the gospel to center, both look to what Christ has done for them and say, I deserve nothing from a holy, righteous God, and he's given me everything and made me holy in his sight. Therefore, I can lay down whatever I think that I deserve and the things that I think I have the right to claim to. Here's the gospel. This is A to Z. The gospel is accomplish, not acquire. It's believe, not behave. That's important. It's credited, not conduct or good conduct. It's done, not do. It's enjoyed, not something to be earned. It's finished, not something to be fulfilled. It's good news, not good advice. The gospel is held, not hold on. And that's what I wanted to say here. What are you holding on to? But you need to realize this, that ultimately the gospel and God's grace is the very thing that holds you. You don't clinch to it. Christ clinched to you. I is innocent, not improve. Justified, not just try harder. Kept, not keep up. Liberating, not lace up your bootstraps. Made new, not make improvements. New life, not nationalism. Offered freely, not obtained. Perfection, not performance. Qualified, not try and qualify. Received, not rejected. Scandalous, not safe. Trust, not just try harder. Upheld, not uphold. Victorious, not try and be virtuous. One, not work. Ex-sinner, now a saint, as a stretch. You are loved, not you earn love. In zenith, which means grand, not zero. The gospel is the work of Jesus. If you rewind it like an old VCR, what you actually start to see in the gospel, the good news, is that you aren't there hand in hand fighting with God. You are a passive recipient of the good news that Christ has done, finished, and provided for you. We just get to celebrate it. We get to share it. We get to remind it. We get to receive it. We get to stand in it. We get to be saved in it. We get to hold on to it. And then last, he says this, unless you believed in vain, what we get to do ultimately is believe 
this message is the one true message that has the power to save and transform our hearts and lives. If you pursue holiness or pursue being a good wife without the gospel, you will lead and live a very self-righteous life. When the gospel is your starting place and you live out of that, it changes. Your belief changes. What we need to be focused on right now is belief. Your beliefs about God, your beliefs about what God has done, your beliefs about what God says about you and who you are in Christ, it are the most important thoughts you can think throughout the day. Belief matters. What are you believing in? What are you trusting in? What have you placed your faith in? What, what are you currently holding on to? Did you know that in 1 Timothy 6.16, there's a ministry in town started by Saul Rexius named The Good Fight. The essence of that is that as Christians, we're called to fight the good fight of faith. Did you know it's the same word right here, belief, as it's used to fight the good fight of faith? That the very thing that Christians are called and, uh, to fight and do is to actually believe all that Christ has done for us and who we are in him. So I'm supposed to fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? I'm actually supposed to believe and believe that Christ has done it all, paid it all, done enough, and that's who I am. That's what we're supposed to do. And here's the reality again. I've been told I say here's the reality a lot. Sorry, Zach. <clears throat> let, let, let me end with this story. Belief in our belief about God transforms our minds, as Romans 12, 1 says. What we believe about God, what we believe about Christ, what he's done, transforms our lives. In a sense, God is, is, is rewriting our stories through and in the message of the gospel, the good news. I do counseling. I try to do it every week. My wife and I do it once a month. If you think it's because we're messed up, you're absolutely right. But I would just be impressed that it took you that long to figure it out. Um, do counseling once a week. One of the things that I do in counseling is called a narrative therapy. And basically what you're doing is looking back throughout your story, throughout your life to see how you've been shaped by it, okay? So my counselor sometimes asks me to do stuff that I think is weird, and I will do it because I'm trusting that he knows what he's doing and he has a degree in this. But one of the things that he asked me to do is to find a, a picture of me from when I was little, five years old, and go back and write a letter to that little boy. I'm down to do stuff like this, just so you guys know. As long as it's centered on and, 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 and immersed and wrapped in the gospel. I think there's a very secular way to do this, which I won't get into, but I think there's a way to do this to where it elevates Christ. But let, he asked me to also do it with my left hand. I won't get into that, um, but it's hard. I say that to say this. It's hard for me to read this. I wrote it, but I, I want to read you what I wrote to uh, this five-year-old picture of myself, Okay. My nickname growing up was Big Dog, though I was like, it's so small. Um, big Dog. I'm, I'm sorry you are scared, and I know how you feel. You fidget with your fingers and roll your ears because you are stressed and scared. I know you love your dad and you want him to be proud of you. You look so helpless, and it breaks my heart to see you going through all this and it breaks my heart to tell you that it's about to get harder. You will be terrified. You'll be abused. You'll be told that you are worthless and will never amount to anything. And these words will crush you. And these words will stick with you throughout your life. You will have seizures and intense OCD that will impact your relationships. You'll run away from home at 16. 
you'll drop out of school. You'll be terrified of your dad. And you will run from him whenever he comes home. You'll be small. You'll be bullied. And I hate again to tell you that you will go through all this. But I'm writing to tell you this and to tell you I wouldn't change a thing. And God will bring light out of darkness like he did the cross. I want you to know that you will have two beautiful daughters. You will be a good dad and your daughters will run to you instead of away from you when you come home. Big dog, God will save you and touch you and remind you that you are not worthless, but instead you have worth found in Christ. And he will teach you of his love for you. God will use your story and the brokenness in it to, to, to gospel and minister to others. Hang in there, buddy. I share this to say this. There is not a bit of my story that I would change. But I also say this, that we are told stuff on a daily basis, what we are called to believe. We are told stuff from early on in life. We will be called, uh, told stuff throughout life. Here's what I'm saying. Let's believe what God's word has to say about us because it has the power to save and transform our lives. What he says about me is my child, my son, in whom I delight, adored, approved, accepted, and loved. And those are God's words to anyone who is a child of his. God's love is not contingent upon actions. It's contingent upon relationship. But it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the belief that Paul says, hang on to this because it's actually what matters. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your word. I confess my heart is daily prone to wander. That I run to other things, I hold to other things, that I believe other things, that I look to other things, that I stand upon other things instead of the truth of the gospel. Would you please not just remind me, but remind all of us of the gospel this morning. As we take communion, the Lord's Supper, that's exactly what it is. It's a remembrance. Let us celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.